Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 441 on Tuesday, the 30th of November, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be going back to the 50s. We struggle to sympathise with one cry of anguish over parking, and we wonder how badly we can actually do in a quiz. We have to explain a little bit about the setup. Oh, no, we're going to explain very quickly. Apologies if my audio is not great. For those of you who are watching on video, apologies if I freeze. Um, I am in La France Profonde, so we decided we'd actually try and record the podcast, uh, even when I'm here, because normally I, I sort of cry off and cry that there's no, no data, but they have made movements in improving data, so we can almost do this now. So we'll see how it goes. Yep, it's a test. Apologies if audio quality isn't as good as usual, by the way. Don't don't at me. Don't at Andrew. Okay. Nothing we can do. Yep, I think we've done all the caveats now. So I'll get into the mm-hmm. new news. And this is the excellent news that for the first time in its existence, SMMT has announced a female president. And this is Alison Jones, who is the senior vice president at Stellantis and the country manager for the UK. So that covers Peugeot, Citroën, DS Automobiles, Fiat, Fiat Professional, Arbath Jeep and Alfa Romeo. Uh, so it's quite a few. Which is all. Not much of a, the UK automotive <laughs> landscape there. No, not at all. But uh, she will be the 82nd president and takes over on the 1st of January 2022, replacing Dr. George Gillespie OBE who has been in charge or has been president for three years. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is excellent moves. And by all accounts, reading everything that people commented on this, uh, thoroughly well-deserved. So looking forward to uh, Alison being in charge. Yeah, I've seen absolutely nothing but positive coverage of this, which is good. Yeah. Excellent news. Yeah, excellent news. Do you want to take us to a bit of not quite so excellent news, though, Alan? Yes, I was going to say, and it, and it comes from the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. Car production in the UK fell 41.4% in October. A couple of factors for this, one of which will continue until next July, which is the closure of Honda's Swindon plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to affect things for the rest of the year. And the other is, of course, the semiconductor shortage. Uh, it really yep. has exacerbated this quite impressively. They're also worried though, aren't they? Yes, generally about how long it's going to go. Yeah. There's there's not a lot they can do. I mean, they are doing everything they can. There are talks of putting in semiconductor factories in Europe and stuff like that, but that all takes time. Mm. They're they're just having to battle through. Yeah, it's moving the manufacturing, uh, moving the whole supply chain much closer to the final manufacturer. It's one of the big challenges that people have found over the last two years is that by moving all the supply chain overseas and not, I'm going to use the phrase I use quite often in this kind of situation, maintaining the capability near the factories in an area which is easier to control, then it's really impacting stuff. There is one small bright spark in all of this, no pun intended, uh, and that's that the manufacture of EVs uh, in the UK has risen by 17.5% over the last uh, month, year on year, to 8,454. So I imagine most of those are, are Leaf and in Sunderland. But that's good news. It is. A little bit. Yes. Something. Something to cling to. Yes. <laughs> right. More good news to do with EVs. And it's the fact that Intertech have opened a vehicle centre of excellence in Milton Keynes. And this is where they're going to create testing and developing of their high-voltage propulsion systems, which also include 
things like the motors, the inverters, axle modules, uh, as well as the electrical systems themselves. Um, they mm. are a independent quality assurance testing company for the likes of Volkswagen and all the rest of it, um, who have already won the title of International's Engine Test Facility of the Year in Automotive Testing Technology International Awards. <laughs> I didn't see those being mentioned on Twitter. No, I didn't. It's such a shame. Uh, but mm. this is this is good news, obviously, for Britain becoming a a global centre for EV excellence and for technology, which is what has been asked for, demanded, pushed for by everybody, to be fair. And it's great to see some of it actually coming to fruition. be really interesting to see what they actually do at their facility. As with last week, with one of the articles, add this to the list of people to go and talk to for the podcast. These test facilities are always very, very interesting. What they can tell you about what they're doing and who they're doing it for is a completely different matter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, once again, it's it's great to have these kind of things close to manufacturing, close to manufacturing of the batteries, close to all the development. And of course, here in the UK, everything gets a really good workout because of the uh, the sheer volume of motorsport. Yep. As well. Yeah. It's not the only exciting EV news, is it? No, it's not. In a position to, to take advantage uh, of this kind of testing, uh, then the Israeli startup RE is looking to expand its UK operations. It already has a development center in Warwickshire, and what it's going to build is a launch integration center. The idea being that this is a pilot factory for the production of the corners, in inverted commas, which are basically a suspension wheel and drivetrain bundle in a, a single package. It's intended for commercial vehicles. And, you know, Warwickshire's a pretty good place to do that because you've got um, all the companies I can't think of right now. You've got Arrival and you've got Volta just up the road there and really handy. So lots of commercial, lots of electric commercial vehicle companies setting up in and around that area. Again, lots of common sense. Yeah, you've also got uh, University of Warwick, which is a centre where um, a lot of the car manufacturers as well as commercial vehicles have got uh, interests and are helping with the academics to develop and push forward the capabilities and Mm -hmm. possibilities. So, yeah, brilliant, brilliant place to put it. I think it's a really exciting idea as well, the, the whole corner thing, if you can make that work. Absolutely, because then basically all anybody else has to supply is platform to join the four corners together and a ready great battery. Yeah. Then after that, it's straight on with coach work on top. So it's the kind of thing that, it says commercial vehicles, incredibly useful in buses and any of these kind of things. That part of the UK, perfect sense. Myra is just up the road, the test facility. Just sensible place to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. More exciting stuff. Right, I'm going to take us to London, unfortunately, and this is less exciting news, I'm afraid. Uh, And it is the news that the £61 million that had been put aside by Transport for London as a scrappage scheme to help out Londoners for the ULES has now allocated all the funds that it had available, Mm -hmm. i.e. pot has been used up. Uh, So what happened is that they have had applications of 23,300 for the funding and they approved 9,370. About 2,000 of those are still waiting for their payments. But Mm -hmm. the 
the quickly well suddenly the the pot was shut because they realized that they just didn't have any more cash available for it you can imagine uh, plenty of people have voiced their disappointment in the shutting down of the scheme just to be clear this wasn't for everyone this was for the low income and disabled londoner so it wasn't just for any tom dick and harry who fancied a new car yeah it was focused there just seemed to be a wider beam than they expected, I think. Yeah. Obviously, TfL are calling this as a, a humongous success, uh, pointing out that following enthusiastic uptake, and after taking more than 13,000 polluting vehicles off the road, all funds have been committed, and that's a great thing. But there's some debate as to whether it's actually covered everyone that it that it was meant to be. There's another point in here saying that the right at the minute with the, the ULES, there is uh, over 90% compliance. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's a problem well, with TFL. Uh, Potentially. Uh, depends on the perspective. <laughs> well, it depends on the perspective, but TFL need money. Yeah. And you get more money from people who are fined for not complying than you do for people complying. Yes. So they, they reckon that that's going to be a shortfall of £600 million less, which the way mm-hmm. it's written, and this is what I was where I was coming from with the perspective, the way it's written, it makes it out that that is because it was only ever a fundraising exercise. However, mm. when they created this, they did have to make some assumptions on what sort of income they expected from this. Mm-hmm. So whether you believe it is just a tax or whether you believe the idea is purely to clean up the air and make it um, a better environment in which for us all to live, you choose which side you want to look at it from. You know, I know from other reports outside the motoring industry that one of the challenges they've had with the congestion zone generally is that actually everyone, or pretty much everyone paid it, or at least trying to pay it. So as a result, all the way through that, it's never paid for itself because not enough people were, were falling foul of it. Mm. Yep. So I, I remain slightly cynical about that. I'm sorry. Um, just the size, the scale, and everything else. Obviously, clean air is good, but just the speed and the implementation stuff, it just makes me kind of skeptical uh, about about just quite what the what the drivers were political drivers were behind it yes so to speak absolutely i am even more cynical than you but we'll we'll leave it there yes ah <laughs> uh, sh- do you want to talk about uh, actually uh, an expansion yes ionity ev charging firm ionity it's backed in part by by many of the large motor manufacturers is going to be investing another 700 million euros to expand its network in the run-up to 2025. Is that off the back of just one of their charges, the income it makes? (laughs) You've just beaten me to it. So I was going to say, so for just slightly more than one credit card pre-authorization, they are going to be increasing, quadrupling even, the number of 350 kilowatt rapid charges uh, from 1,500 to 7,000 by 2025. Part of this is actually funded not by the single pre-auth, uh, but the new partner, the American investment firm BlackRock, they're putting a lot of that investment money in. 
As always, new devices will be installed on motorways near major cities along busy trunk roads. And one of the key things is sort of they intend on increasing the average number of charges per location to between six and 12. And there's generally got two, three, four at the moment. Mm. So that's quite significant. Also, existing busy sites will be expanded as well. Currently, I only have 14 locations uh, in the UK. I actually thought it was more than that. Uh, and they've got two more under construction. I think so, they've put um, them where nearly all the motoring journalists live because they are the ones I see often going, oh, I used Ionity and it worked. Bit expensive, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, well, mostly they say that, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going, how much? Yes. But yes, at, uh, there's certainly one at, at Milton Keynes, which, which always seems quite busy. Uh, at the Milton Keynes Coachway, that glamorous charging spot. <laughs> but it is awfully convenient, and you know there are going to be charges. So you put up with the bus station coffee. <laughs> yes, good news. Excellent stuff there. By the way, the existing stakeholders, I said many automotive firms. I didn't say who. Audi, BMW, Ford, Hyundai, Kia, Mercedes-Benz, and Porsche. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, meanwhile, despite having joked about the cost of Ionity chargers, the cost of all the public chargers, or many of the public chargers, seem to be rising. Yes. This is the news that, thanks to the spike stroke increase, depends how you want to say it, in energy wholesale costs. This is now going to be passed on by the EV charging companies to the public. Uh, The likes of BP Pulse, as well as Ionity, have got in touch with, uh, sorry, and Osprey, have got in touch with their users to inform them um, as of the 1st of December, prices will go up. And these aren't small jumps either. Really? In most cases, no, they're not. Um, Certainly not as a percentage. Not as a percentage. I mean, it, uh, ironically, Ionity, um, uh, sorry, Instavolt are going to be one of the lower ones at only 5p an increase. BP Pulse Network ones will be up nearly 9p. And then the likes of Osprey, uh, they are going up 4p uh, and Ecotricity. Um, are not saying that they're going up at all at the moment. But if you're using uh, any of the chargers, if you're a, a, a registered user of any of these, then you should be told about it. If not, just keep an eye out on uh, when, if you use the pay-as-you-go pay stuff, just to see how much it's gone up. But Generally, generally it's going to be two to three quid per charge, I would imagine. Yeah, a, a effectively, it was going to happen at some point because they couldn't keep the cost forever. They, they've actually held off quite a just, long time. Just be aware of that now. Yeah, they have. They have. They've done. They've done quite well that way. Next up, something that isn't EV news. Oh, what a surprise! <laughs> uh, it's that the 2022, according to this autocar headline, Brussels Motor Show has been moved due to the pandemic. Um, it hasn't actually been moved. It will take place. It will take place in Brussels. It's just that it'll take place in Brussels in 2023 instead of 2022. Uh, it was intended this year that the Brussels show happens every two years, by the way, much smaller than Geneva, much smaller. Well, it's, it's got to be bigger than Geneva these days. Isn't it? <laughs> My local village fate is bigger than Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or the German motor show of whichever location it is. It was meant to be marking 99 years since its inception. Uh, it looks like it's going to be marking its centenary in 2023 in instead they're anticipating they're just 
being super careful really and trying to announce it nice and early and not do what Geneva did a couple of years ago, which is one of the reasons why it is smaller than your average village fate, as, as Andrew said. Yeah, no, that's very proactive and, and sensible, I think, looking at the way mm, things are changing appreciated by a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly manufacturers before they try and haul anything over there. Well, especially with Christmas in between as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Right, I'm going to take us to, well, we normally like to end the show story, on sorry. a very cheerful a cheerful uh, article or something a bit fun. But we're actually going to end part one on something that will bring a cheer uh, to our hearts, if not actually to our to our mouths. And uh, I will read the headline from the Yes Auto uh, article, and it is, Carmageddon of illegal parkers looms under government plans, experts warn. These experts are from the car parking industry, and it is that... I, I like the ones a parking consultant. That was one of my favourite descriptions. <laughs> I love that. It's like, well, yes, yes, well, you, you're currently parking at the moment, but we do feel that you could be parking a little bit better. Have you tried parking a little bit closer to the pavement, perhaps? Would you, would you like uh, to use our tool? we about parking. <laughs> yes. Let me introduce you to our parking framework. <laughs> You you can tell already uh, how much sympathy we have for the parking industry, but this is that the the government has been consulting on plans to reduce the cap on private parking fines, down from the frankly robbing one hundred pounds to fifty pounds across the UK. But car parks have warned that they will be overrun by the aforementioned Carmageddon of illegal parkers. Because because people will be happy to pay the £25 if they pay promptly, and then it's £50 if you don't. However, what they have failed to grasp in that statement is... That is, it, if, is it that most people aren't complete bleeps like people who run car parking companies? Well, if you feel that £25 for a day is not enough for parking... I think you need to go away and have a little look because most of us feel it is way more than is suitable, acceptable and real. But, but that's, but that's, yeah, that's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. It is, it is, it is so dumb. You, you just wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I once accidentally, accidentally left my car in a central London multi-story car park for three hours and paid Small drum roll, please. £62 for the pleasure. There may have been... Yeah, I didn't realise. There may have been um, an involuntary expletive whenever the machine showed me how much I should be parking. But, you know, if you think about that, if you park in car in car parks for multiple days, you can easily be over the £100. It never dawned on me to... Well, okay, it's dawned on me once to do that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, but, I, I When I was at... Uh... A Manchester one recently that was over twenty quid, and I wasn't, you know, I was only there for oh, easy, several oh, hours. Oh, easily. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. The one example I was thinking of was actually in central Manchester as well. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, how to encourage people not to not to use their cars to make everything as difficult as possible, mm. and it's not to visit your park, cities. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Right, so we thought that would cheer you up. I mean, obviously, uh, no one has any sympathy for the parking industry whatsoever. 
But as you said, that happy moment brings us to the end of part one. Uh, and that means it's Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show, and we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including it being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thanks very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you to everyone who feels there's been a small drum roll at the end of that. <laughs> do you want to take us to some WRC information? Yes, Toyota has been, obviously, uh, WRC season ended last week, well, a weekend past. So in the mere six weeks before the season starts again, everybody's out testing the brand new cars that they're all introducing. Toyota has been testing a new rear wing for the 2022 GR Yaris Rally 1. That's quite a good name, isn't it? And there's lots and lots of pictures and comparisons and discussion about it, including how they've managed to get away with a bigger rear wing, believe it or not, than they had on the Yaris WRC last season. And it's over on wrcwings.tech. Link, as always, in the show notes. Really interesting little article. Yeah, I'm not saying there's a coincidence of Alan being in France, but both Toyota and M Sport are doing the testing and development in France as we speak. So I'm not saying there's a connection. I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to besmirch your good name, Alan, but just a happy coincidence, shall we say. Take a drink, everyone, because this visit to France when I have the Mercedes with me is the only time in years, pretty much since I've had the GRMN that I've actually had time both on the way down and on the way back when I could have gone to the factory at Valenciennes and taken a picture of it outside. But of course, I don't have it with me, do I? (laughs) Some new, new car news, Andrew. Come on. Yes. Get on with it. And this is actually sounds amazing. It is the new Porsche 718 Cayman GT4 RS. Not only is the badge supplier for Porsche happy, but we should be as well because they are going to drop one of their 4-litre naturally aspirated flat-six engines from the 911 GT3 into this smaller car to give us a whopping 493 brake horsepower, and that should give 332 pound-foot of the torques, and also, this will bring down the 0-62 time to a, <laughs> frankly, astonishing 3.4 seconds from the previous 3.7 seconds. Wow. Is, well, it just, there's, it's just so many big numbers, and this just sounds so amazing. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm still adamant that this is, the Cayman is the best-looking Porsche in the range still yeah. at the moment, but... It's not going to be cheap. <clears throat> Prepare yourselves. No, if you can get one, of course, and that's the first challenge. Yeah. Can you actually get one? But it's okay because you'll be able to get one just after being released for double the price. <laughs> so I wouldn't wouldn't worry about it. You know, if you're going to. Yeah. So if you're lucky enough to be a selected person who is able to buy one of these, the prices start at one hundred and eight thousand three hundred and seventy pounds. But Andrew, that's 
as it says here in the Top Gear article, only £15,000 cheaper than the GT3. Yeah. Um... <sighs> takes your money, uh, you, you choose your money, takes your choice type thing. But, oh, I would bet that it's going to be epic. It looks gorgeous. The, it really does. The fact look you'll only be able like to use nuts. a fraction of that on any public road anyway, but these things tend to go on a track, don't they, With thanks to wealthy people? Well, they either go on a track or they go in a garage. And quite frankly, I'd much rather they went on a track of the two. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's awesomely cool, though. Isn't yes, it? it looks great. Awesomely oh. cool. Great. Even with blue wheels. I like that. I just thought that stood out nicely. I just thought it was a bit different. And that matches the kind of blue uh, Alcantara-y, suede stuff in the middle of the seats inside. And, and just, yeah, I really like blue wheels. Mm. And the wing isn't too mad, really, considering. No, I mean, it's one of these top-hung ones like a uh, Claren Senna or something. Mm. So it is the it follows the current style for wing mounts. It is pretty mad, though. Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean it's not Yaris WRC mad, but it is pretty mad. Yeah. You could have a nice McDonald's banquet on the back of that anyway. You could. Yeah. You could. Do you want to take us to the lunchtime read, as you found it? Yeah, lunchtime read is from Silodrill Gasoline Culture uh, this week, but it... In theory, it says it's about a 12-minute read, and that's probably about right. But it's the story, the history of the Africa. Now, some of you probably will never have heard of the Africa. Some of you may remember that there was a Channel 4 documentary, uh, most of which, by the way, is on YouTube, it seems. The idea was that it was a vision of a chap called Tony Howarth, an English engineer, and what he really wanted to do was to create a car that would be suitable for Africa, that would be low cost, that wouldn't rust, that would last or be repairable. And the Africa was was kind of what came out of that. It was a long and tricky story, though. Uh, and essentially, the downfall really came whenever he decided to stop using Citroen engines, powered the prototypes, and to try and develop their own engine. As a result, that just took it over the edge. But a really interesting story. Do please take the time to read it. There's sort of various lessons in there about starting car companies, I think. Uh, but also about having really cool ideas which which work incredibly well. Um, the idea was that it would become a modern-day Model T. It, it really reminds me of the Ox. Uh, actually, the Ox reminds me of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the thing about the Ox. And I think I said that at the time. I think I mentioned the Africa way back when we, we first started covering the Ox. For exactly those reasons, the idea is it's easy to flat pack, easy to build locally, uses, used, you know, lots of easy to find or relatively easy to find components at the time while still being rugged and suited for what they intended to use it for. Or, what, or, or its intended use case, even. Very cool. Well worth the read, guys, because it's one of those things that you can sort of learn lessons from. Um, you just kind of wish it had been more successful. Yeah, absolutely. This is a fascinating read. Fascinating read. Hmm. Right. I am going to take us to the list of the week. And this is from Autocar, and it's a slideshow that is titled The Interesting Cars That Deserved Better Luck according to Al Sutty. I don't quite agree with all of them, but Alan, 
No, me neither. Having been through here, there are some crackers. Um, any that particularly stand out to you? Yes, the Audi A2. Okay. That is a very good choice. Yep. Brilliant idea from a time before uh, an Audi had to be an aggressive thing. Yeah. And just very clever use of aluminium, clever packaging, just lots of clever stuff because you all know that I like clever stuff. Yeah, I saw somebody tweet yesterday, uh, it might have been Felix, about a conversion of an A2 to an EV. Uh, And you just think, well, that, that, apart from, you know, if you were doing it new, that would be like the perfect thing. Yeah. He he said the conversion, the owner had said the conversion cost cost about 20,000 euros, but the thing is that the car should run pretty much forever at that point because it's aluminium. It's not going to rust out. You're not going to have to transfer it to something else. It seems like the perfect city or town runabout. Yeah. Because um, it's got that high floor. Yeah. And, and if it continues, if, of, or if the clever stuff, owner continues to charge it at Lidl, it doesn't cost him anything <laughs> where he was. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Was... Fair enough. That works. <laughs> that works. Now, what about you? Do you have any? There's, there's, there's what eighteen in here. Oh, so there's room for you to pick. Yeah, there, it's mm, it's quite tricky. When I when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, that's easy. But then I looked further on, and it is proved trickier than I anticipate. Right, I think the one for me is the Citroen C6. Okay. I I wish that had done better. It was never going to in this country because it's a large, luxury French thing, but. I love I love the idea. I love what they did with it. Um, just wish there was more of them on the road. I've seen a couple since I've been over here. Actually, I saw loads last week. When I was still in the UK, I saw a whole bunch last uh, last weekend for last. For some reason, I saw four or five, and they just were there and they stuck. I don't know if they'd been pictured on Twitter or something, and therefore, um, you know, I was sort of reinforcing my thoughts on that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I saw a load of them. That brings us to the and finally this week. Now, I would like to point out that Andrew chose the and finally this week <laughs> and included it. And it's Can You Master Our Japanese Car Quiz? And it's by, it says, the bylines for Haggerty, but it's by Anthony Ingram. And he tends to write pretty tricky quizzes. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. How did you do in this? I haven't taken this one. I did, Have you not taken? No, it? not yet, because I, I waited. I wanted to wait until we put it in the show. I did. He did a, right. f- a French car one, didn't he? Yeah, it was pretty tricky. Uh, yeah, I got one. Oh really? Oh, I got a few. So, so the thing, the reason is, I don't know if you know what I got when I did this quiz. Yeah. No. Okay, that's why I made a point of saying that you put it in because I got ten out of ten on this one. Did you? Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, well done. There was, Congratulations. There were a couple of luckyish guesses or knowing what things weren't. But yeah, I got 10 out of 10 in it, which is why I'm pointing out that Andrew put it in. It's not me trying to show off. Okay. Oh, well done. Because I, no I really idea. thought, oh, I wish I'd only got 9 out of 10. And then I don't look like quite such a complete and total sad up. <laughs> Your Honour. It's a very British approach <laughs> to getting 10 out of 10, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, now it looks like I'm showing off. No, the... Ooh, some of these are not uh, the easiest of questions. Oh dear! I, I'll be no, happy if are. I they, can they... get three. Let's put it like that, because I'm useless at these quizzes anyway. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Fair enough. Well, let me know yeah. <laughs> so I can laugh at you. Okay, no problem. I will put it on Twitter. <laughs> fair enough. Excellent. Um, parish notes before we finish up. Uh, special edition came out last Friday. Yep. 
Uh, I spent a day driving BMWs and Minis. A nice mix, actually. A good good mix of the full range, actually. Well, that would, yeah. That, that was the plan, Stan. It was as though, yeah, it was as though you tried hard to make that happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I tried hard, but it was in my mind, and I didn't just sort of run around going, I'll drive an M4 next, <laughs> after driving an M3, because that would be silly. Yeah, so hopefully that's interesting. Uh, I've had some great feedback so far from people. Thank you very much. Uh, we shall try and put some of that into practice. Yes. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to do that, and thank you for listening. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, other people can find that, obviously, uh, from motoringpodcast.com, or uh, it was the previous to this episode uh, on your podcast player. Yeah. Subscribe to us there. So, absolutely. Uh, don't forget that between now and next week, uh, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please remember, you can re- support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rate it on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way... For- for people to get in touch with you. Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to congratulate you on your knowledge of Japanese information don't and bother. cars, what's the best way just for don't. them to do that, personally? Don't. Don't. Just leave it. But anyway, the best way to get in touch with me, uh, ask me questions. Uh, I will not be giving away hints uh, for the uh, for the Haggerty quiz. It's best to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Oh, uh, before I forget, one last thing that we should have said. Uh, Zoom Zoomers next Monday night as well. Yes. Uh, other than that, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>